and welcome to this podcast. I'm Laura Horton. And I'm Michael Bentley. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you, everybody. Now, we've had a real mix of questions come through uh, this month. The first one is about staff hours. And I think Michael and I have got a lot to discuss about that one because it's a huge topic for some reason at the moment. We've got another one about your NHS contracts, clawbacks, and essentially uh, remaining offering an NHS contract or coming away from it. And due to the huge numbers of readers that have read Michael's nine top tips for Brexit, we've had a couple of questions come through about prices, just a bit more uh, of a discussion on that and stock what um, our thoughts are in a little bit more detail. So we're going to get straight into the questions. And the first one is this. Can you recommend any staff hours logging in system? We're thinking about a website where you can log in and record hours worked, holidays, etc. And I think let's start by just breaking that question down a little bit and talking about staff hours worked before we jump into the holidays. Because staff hours worked is a huge topic that Michael and I seem to be discussing quite a lot at the moment with dental practices. I would say one of the biggest problems that we see with staff hours and logging staff hours is the amount of time it is taking. So this practice is being proactive. They obviously know it's taking a lot of time. They want to reduce the amount of time. But it's not just the amount of time it takes. There is always what we're finding a huge duplication process going on for checking staff hours. So the person who's responsible perhaps for doing the wages may be delegating out, you know, someone else to tot up all the hours, as it were. And then they think, well, I've got to double check it anyway. So they go and check it again. So we've some, you know, we've got two people essentially in the practice doing the same job, which is taking a huge amount of time. On top of that, what seems to be a huge problem again is overtime, contracted hours, staff leaving early. Oh, but we don't pay for overtime because what if they leave early? It all works out even in the end. If the dentist is finished, the nurses could go. And I think more so, I don't know what you think, Mike, but more so the biggest problems with logging staff hours definitely sit around dental nurses. It's not the front desk. It's not the treatment coordinators um, or any employed hygienist or therapist. It's always sitting around the nurses and the cultures that you've got of well the dentist has finished early so the nurse can go early um of you know well the dentist has finished late so the nurse is obviously working late and they're getting paid overtime for that and then the other thing is um a real unsureness in practices unsureness not even sure if that's a word um around who is the person who has the autonomy to say yes you can leave early or yes you can do overtime this is just a massive area that's um that's happening in practices and causing a lot of day-to-day -day stress that without a doubt needs to be minimized doesn't it mike there's so much stress in practices around hours and logging hours it's it's quite you know something we are talking about a lot at the moment for some reason <laughs> Yes, definitely. And I think, you know, you breaking down the question is has come very clear. And it's a subject very close to my heart, really, about getting it right. And I think there's so many bits of it that can go wrong. First of all, you do need to almost stopwatch 
how long it takes to set up a clinic, how long it takes to um, take down a clinic, you know, do the end of day procedures that you expect to do. And that really needs to be, let's do it, let's time it, and let's make sure that that is a robust system in the practice. So if the contracts for the nurses finish at 5.15, for an example, uh, and your last patient finishes at five o'clock, then they do get that 15 minutes to be able to to achieve um, what they need to achieve. And that's really important. So some practices fall into, well, they need to be sort of doing it as they go. Um, and then at five o'clock, if they then drift on till 10 past five, that's their fault because they should be, you know, getting themselves, you know, together quicker. No, that is a myth. Yeah, employment law clearly states that if your contract finished at five o'clock, you should finish at five. So you've got to build that timing. So that's number one. And the reason why I say it needs timing is because we do hear lots of stories about it takes this nurse half an hour, it takes this nurse five minutes, it takes this nurse 10 minutes, it takes this person 45 minutes. And that will depend on, you know, how lackadaisical you actually are and whether people get to the end of the day and they start, you know, all the pace goes, they don't need to go home urgently, so they've got a bit of time. And if you've got uh, somewhere to go straight after you finish work, you know, might be picking children up from, you know, after school club, things like that. Those people will do things faster to get out, won't they? So yeah. at the end of the day, you're mixing two different lifestyles there as well. And, you know, and I've known, you know, nurse in my practice, you know, at the end of the day, you know, put the kettle on, you know, have a cup of tea, start to, you know, and are quite happy in their own little world of calming things down and setting up for tomorrow morning. So you've just got to make sure your systems are clear. Yeah. What is the setup time? What's the end of time? Time it. That's what they get. Now, the next thing that needs to happen here is dentists overrunning, which is another huge issue on nurses, because mm. if the dentists overrun, it means then that the time that was allocated for, you know, um, actually closing down the surgery is now no, no longer there. And then it is an expectation then that the nurses stay to do that work. Well, again, if their contract finishes at 5.15 and you're supposed to finish patients at five o'clock and you drift on till 5.15, yeah, then actually you're now in an overtime position and you've got to negotiate with that dental nurse then of, are you able to stay to 5.30 to close down your surgery or do we have to get somebody else to do that for you because you need to be somewhere? Yeah. So that's really important. If this is happening on a day by day basis, then this situation needs sorting out because that means that your diaries are out of control and that you haven't got enough uh, time for the patients that you're trying to treat. And that is down to the dentist and the managers to get that right. And also about what the front desk are doing. Are they double booking things and things like that? So there's a huge lot of stuff going on there. I know you said, Laura, that it doesn't affect the desk. I actually do slightly disagree with that. And I do apologise for it, because for me, the desk needs to be employed after the nurses finish. Because if you think about cashing up procedures, if you've got a patient coming downstairs a bit later, I would give the, the front desk team probably about 10, maybe 15 minutes longer uh, to actually make sure that they actually do all the handover with the patient properly. And they sort of finish their communication patients at 5.15 and then they've got 15 minutes to close down their 
side and that doesn't have to be all of the people that work on the front desk but um, that's something that worked much better in my practice because what was happening again is people drift and you end up having a long conversation booking in lots of appointments is that and the other and you're like well I, it's 5 15 I haven't even started the cashing up you yeah. know and again, what we don't want is people cashing up at like three o'clock in the afternoon, which again we see. <laughs> yeah. And you know, that what you're doing now, well, we're cashing up. Why are you cashing up? You don't close till six o'clock. Well, if I don't get it done now, it won't and I won't I won't be able to go on time. So again, yeah. and it's left right? to the next morning as well, often, isn't it? It's left to the next morning cashing yeah, and up. And then things don't balance, people can't yeah, balance, stressful. You know, remember things, the petty cash is wrong, and we're having loads of issues with petty cashing practices lately. So you know, there are lots of things to do here so our big recommendation and we could talk about this for the whole podcast if I'm honest um, <laughs> is that you know there's lots of different areas to look at including emergencies you know I'm sure we'll do that in another podcast as well and we've definitely done it in previous podcasts too is that we're recommending that you put in a clocking in system that is the easiest way now it needs to be a fingerprinted system um, and the reason for that is so nobody can clock in for each other. That's really important. You can buy them from, you know, well-known stockists, you know, Amazon sell them. Um, and, you know, you just put them in. And the important thing is, is when people clock in, and this is not a new thing. Clocking in systems have been going for years. I mean, I don't know about you, Laura, but I was clocking in when I was 16 when I worked at Sainsbury's supermarkets. It ain't new, right? So don't worry about it. Clocking in systems have been in for years, you know, think of the old factory things, you know, and doing the cards. They've been oh. around for years. Yeah. yeah. Been around for years and years and years. Yet dental practices are so worried about putting a clocking in system. It's like, oh, but it means that I don't trust anybody in the practice. Rubbish. Yeah. Absolute rubbish. What a clocking in system does is, first of all, it tells you who's in the building. And actually, from a fire regulation point of view, that's fantastic. So that's a big, you know, tick, tick, tick for that straight away. But also, it allows you to start to understand who's in the building at what time, what time pe people are actually finishing tasks, like what time they clock off for lunch, what time they go back on lunch, because that's another big issue that we're finding in practice, that people don't go back on time and they're five minutes late for the first patient after lunch. Uh, hello, why why would that be necessary? Um, again, it's, it's cultures and disciplines, isn't it? People not finishing on time. And let's get this straight. The clocking in system is for everybody, employed and self-employed, because we need to know where people are. And then slowly but surely, you'll get a map created of when people are clocking in and when people are clocking out. And then you can look at the contracts that people employed to do and go, hang on a minute, what's happening here? Because I can tell you now, the people that asked to go early are the ones that decide that their contract starts at eight o'clock, but they come in at seven and they're setting things up in the practice and they're putting autoclaves on, they're filling up with water and they're doing all these great jobs. And that's amazing. But then they come out with, well, I came at seven o'clock, so I want to go home half an hour early at 4.30. Uh, no, the clinic still works till five. Yeah, and this is what I mean about nurses, Mike, because the front yeah. desk can't go. They've still got patients to check out. The, the clinicians can't go. They've still got patients in their room. And if a, if a last patient doesn't turn up or a procedure finishes early, this is when the nurses do start going, I'm going to leave early. I'm going to leave early. And if, and no one knows who, you know, and, the you know, the associate dentist might go, oh, OK, then that's not their job to say that. The practice managers left going, well, where's this person gone and who allowed that? And it just causes so many problems. And it's got to be the contracted hours 
are right for the business. And like you say, if someone wants to come in early, come in early, but you're not getting paid for it. That's up to you. That's the really important point. You're not getting paid for it. I mean, I know that some people do like to come in early. I mean, Laura, I I know you and I definitely came in early. (laughs) for our hours you know that was what well actually I didn't come in early you used to come in early and I used to leave late um but I did change my hours um you know so that I could come in later one of the one of the days that I did was actually I came in at 10 o'clock and I left at seven and the reason for that was is the practice closed at five o'clock um on a Wednesday and I got two hours of pure admin time um to myself you know, which is absolutely amazing. However, I must say, the other thing for a clocking in system, and people aren't aware of this policy, and the reason why I'm backing it up straight away is, working alone, yeah, is now not acceptable. So you can't be in a practice on your own without actually setting up a document that clearly indicates if you are on your own and something happens, what are you going to do about it? You've got to have clear protocols. And I would be, my advice to business owners and managers is, you shouldn't have staff on their own in a practice. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at the working alone policy, that shouldn't be happening. So if you have got somebody that's coming in at seven o'clock, half past six, and they're working on their own, actually, in 2019, I'm now not comfortable with that. I don't know how you fare about that, Laura, but I don't either. So again, I think we need to make it really clear that we open at a set time for a reason. Yeah, definitely. And if we go back to logging holidays, yes, definitely you need to be really proactive with logging holidays. Um, there are websites, there are apps, there are all sorts of things you can use. Ooh. And again, you do need to be using something. So you're definitely 100% allocating holidays correctly because it is difficult, especially with part-time staff and you've got a lot of overtime going on in your business and things like that. So, yeah, definitely be proactive and use something. But the clocking in system, without a doubt, don't let that be a website or an app. Definitely have that something that's in a really good place in yeah. your practice that everyone can use every single day I was just oh god I was just thinking Michael when I that was the kit that's a key thing isn't it make sure if you if you're moving on to an electronic holiday system which we do I mean I'm I mean you know I I think it's fair to uh, share it with the listeners our diaries are merged aren't they I know exactly what you're doing you know exactly what I'm doing at any one time and I love it but we are very good at electronic diaries and you might have some staff that are not comfortable with electronic diaries and therefore make mistakes so make sure that if you go onto an electronic system that everybody knows how to operate it you know that everybody understands the 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 diary and the system that you've got going on and don't delete a manual system that everybody can see like a wall chart for an example until everybody has moved over successfully because Mm -hmm. it only takes one or two people to go I don't understand the system for it all to fall down and again that's what I'm finding you know electronic systems are are, are taking over which is great because that's where things are going but they're only as good as the people using them absolutely and still it's lovely to have a wall chart (laughs) I was just thinking when you said about clocking in I remember if you know if somebody had like in this really big place I used to work if somebody had moved your clocking in card because it was in your set place there's hundreds of people working there if someone had moved it you're desperate to get out you know, or clock in or clock out for lunch and someone's moved it and you've got to try and find it. It used to be really stressful, didn't it? (laughs) 
It, it was. I mean, I, I know that when I worked for Sainsbury's, we we had, um, I, I used to work in the petrol station that was well away from the store. I mean, in those days, they were quite far. And yeah. um, they, the management team, and I'm not being funny, had timed how long it took um, to do a brisk walk from the petrol station all the way to the clocking in machine. And I'll tell you now, if you, did, if, if you didn't do it in the time that they'd set, you were straight in the office. Wow. There was no joking around with it. There was no like, you know, you get away with occasionally saying, um, you know, a, a patient, you know, um, a shopper had stopped me to ask me a question where something was. But I tell you now, you definitely didn't walk into the store looking like you were going to help people because you were literally, you know, brisk walking yourself <laughs> to get to that clocking in machine and they're not answering any, any questions um, because you didn't want to be stopped because, you know, it, you would be affected by that. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Okay, so let's move on <laughs> to the next question. Um, right, this is a big question. So again, we just I'll, I'll read it all out and then uh, we'll give you a summary answer ready. So, April is coming and undoubtedly the NHS patient charge is likely to increase. However, the NHS provider return never increases to the same proportion. I believe this has resulted in a number of practices finding themselves in the position of having to return money back to the NHS per UDA they perform. What's your advice in dealing with this sticky situation? Giving up an NHS contract results in a massive devaluation of your dental surgery. Continuing along the path of collecting money for the NHS results in unaffordable dentistry and resulting in significant detrimental compromises in expenses. Right, so wow. let's get to this. First and foremost, let's talk about UDAs. Um, you have really got to be on top of your UDAs on a on a monthly basis. Some practices are on top of them on a weekly basis and have very good um, communications of understanding what's happening. There is nothing worse than a clawback in any way, shape or form. Um, it, it, it is awful, but I would always say that you do want to make sure this really goes into a finance area here that in your practice that you do have a pot that is your buffer pot that if something has happened if something hasn't been worked out correctly that it's not going to be as detrimental to you as it could be that you have got a rainy day fund sitting there for some form of emergency miscommunication that's resulted in a financial problem if we then go further into this it says about giving up an NHS contract resulting in a massive devaluation and continuing along the path of collecting money results in unaffordable dentistry yeah it's all true isn't it you know it's all true giving up your NHS contract is going to result in a massive devaluation of your business the the fees for NHS contract practices are huge. They're massive in comparison to private practices and how much they're being bought for. What I would look at, and I think uh, we've done a previous podcast, haven't we, Mike, tips for buying practices. If you're in a situation where you're unsure of what you're doing or why you're doing it, you need to go back to the start and redesign things. When people are buying practices. If I was to buy a practice, if Mike and I were to buy a practice, it's not about the value of the practice, it's about the profitability of the practice. That is all we'd be interested in. in any business, if Mike and I were to buy another business anywhere or a dental practice, all yeah. that we'd be interested in would be the profitability. So buying a practice that's valued at 1.1 million, 
that has this guaranteed income through the NHS contract um, that's, you know, blah, blah, blah. It all looks great on paper. But if the profits are, you know, five, six, seven percent, that's not great. If there's a private practice that's up for sale for 400,000 with, you know, a really good, healthy um, profit attached to it, well, it's a bit of a no brainer, isn't it? It's about the profit. So, that's what you've got to think of going forward here. So giving up your NHS contract, massive devaluation. Yes, continuing along the path of collecting money for the NHS results in unaffordable dentistry and resulting in a significant detrimental compromise in your expenses. Yes, it's all true. It's correct. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You've got to design your practice around what you want to do. And Michael and I, we are always talking to the practice owners. It's about the dentistry that you want to be doing. And you've got to be comfortable with the dentistry that you're doing, first and foremost. And I think it is about going back to the path and redesigning your vision of what you want to achieve and focusing on profit, not turnover. Because a practice, if you put your practice up for sale in the long term, it's going to sell quicker and faster if it's more profitable. I'll hand over to you now, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said, and it's and it's a, a really difficult uh, puzzle, isn't it? And I think it, you know, again, it comes back to time, doesn't it? Yeah. That unfortunately, you know, in the NHS, um, that is one of the constraints that people don't have time um, to do everything that they need to do. And I think there's been immense pressures placed on this area that you know through documentation and communication that have just added a massive wall of expectation that is not being paid for and that's the problem isn't it because you know in the GDC standards you've got you know you need to communicate every option and you need patients to go away and consider their thoughts and they need to come back and then they need to communicate any concerns that they have and you need to answer further questions that's great in an ideal world and in private dentistry you can definitely achieve that but in NHS dentistry that is much harder you know to achieve without other people you know uh, getting on board I mean we I do I do know a lot of NHS practices that you know are are that are doing treatment coordination to help the dentist you yeah. know communicate things so that you know they they only literally doing what they need to do and that is just so so important but you've just got to go how much am I being paid for this service and you know what time am I going to allocate each month um to do that and I think the tip that I've got is it needs to be diary zoned every single month you know we've got to achieve this many hours and this many UDAs and it needs to be um you know actually looked at like that as a model and every month you need to review where you are see where the shortfalls are and then you need to do something active about them otherwise you are going to have a shortfall and if that's the position that you decided to do as a business then you know I go do you know what that's amazing it's amazing that you're still offering an NHS service because it's really hard to do it absolutely it is really hard and you've got to be smart with your NHS contract because yeah, you've got to Yeah, and you said, haven't you, with finance and things like that. I think the other thing, the side of things is we have a lot of chats with practices now about how much do you pay a dental nurse? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How much do you pay a front desk professional? How much do you pay a manager? How much do you pay um, for expenses? What do we choose material wise? Well, let's get it down to brass tacks. 
you only get what you get from the NHS and it has to be split into a number of ways. And the only thing that you need to do is go, right, with an NHS uh, practice, if that's what you've got, then you are going to be having minimum paged, minimum waged nurses, minimum waged front desk professionals, minimum waged apprentice nurses. Yeah, you're going to be choosing materials that are the cheapest. That is, that is the difference, isn't it? Because you can't afford to um, select everything that you want to have. So therefore, you know, there is going to be compromises that need to be made in, in order to get that. Because if you want an all singing, all dancing dental nurse now um, to work alongside you, they ain't going to be coming in for £8.59 pound an hour. No. Those have gone. You know, they're wanting 12, 13, 14 pounds an hour. And, and that figure is only set to rise over the next few years, most definitely. Um, although um, I'll, I'll be writing a piece about my thoughts on this um, for, you to, for you to read moving forward. But you've got to look at, you know, you can't change the income that you get from the NHS. What you have to decide is where is it going? And, and that is a problem. And if you look at, you know, all of the sectors and the governments and all the rest of this thing, you know, actually, you know, it's a bit like having your home finances as well, isn't it? You get a set amount of money a month and you have to allocate it away, don't you? Yeah. And you have to decide what is a necessity and what isn't. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, that conundrum is down to you. Yes, and you've got to make sure you are being smart of your NHS contracts. You know, if you've got multiple associates delivering that for you, then maybe you need to look at a therapy model because you'll be paying maybe nine, 10, 11 pound a UDA um, to the dentist. Maybe that can be changed, that can be different. You could employ a therapist, for example, to take on a huge part uh, of the NHS dentistry. So you've got to be smart with that. You've got to think what you want to do with it. By all means, don't just ditch it out of frustration because that does happen. Um, but you've got to be smart of it. You can make it work for you, but it's got to be very systemized and very clear what you do. Right. We've got two minutes <laughs> left um, to just to talk a little bit further about Brexit tips. So top tips of Brexit and questions have come through about prices and stocks. So in the article, Michael has put about doing a price list review. I'll, I'll discuss this quickly then Mike you can talk about stock. The price list review is so important particularly because so many practices have not put their prices up anyway. They haven't put them up in the last six months, the last 12 months, the last two, three, four, five years and they haven't perhaps done a full overhaul of the prices and looked at actually what are our expenses and how our, our sorry are our prices correct anyway I'm trying to talk too fast um, so your price list review is essential for many practices anyway you've got to do it anyway and then definitely once we see what the impact is with brexit costs we've said it before in other podcasts costs are definitely going to go up i mean i had um a letter from my electric gas and electric provider the other day that because the cap has been increased um my gas and electric is now going to cost me 165 pounds more a year so how many more types of letters like that are we going to be getting through is what i thought um so you need to make sure your prices are right your income's right without a doubt mike i hand over to you to elaborate more on stock <laughs> Yeah. So uh, the other the top tip really is to make sure that you don't stockpile um, loads of stock in advance. And I know that 
people are already doing it. In fact, you know, um, we've walked into places and they've got, you know, quite a lot of um, stock already. And I understand why you're doing it, because you feel like, you know, if there's an interruption to stock, then, you know, there's, there's a flow. So, yes, of course, you know, have you know, a little bit, you know, ready for the month moving forward. But let's just face it, the wheels on the bus aren't going to fall off completely. They just can't, yeah? It, you know, you, you, all of these people, you know, Henry Sean, for an example, aren't just going to allow all of their stock to disappear overnight. Yeah, it's not going to do that, um, you know. And at the end of the day, you they have got they have got to resolve it for all of their customers across the UK, Europe, and you know, and and extensively what they've got. So it's not just about you; it's about everybody. So they will already be be, be being put contingencies, you know, in that to support you moving forward. So my rule is: don't panic. You know, yeah. panic buying is not a good idea. Just think about, you know, I, I don't know about you, Laura. Remember the petrol panic buying and everybody going oh, through yeah. the car and all of that kind of scenario? Yeah. I mean, that used to happen. And, and it's just a panic. You know, all it does is it's creating more stress. Yeah. yeah. And there's two things here. I, in my practice, you know, we, uh, I've had dentists in my practice that have bought a bulk of something and then six months, a year later, fall out of love with it and they don't want to use it and they want to use the next stuff. And I'm like, hang on a minute, you've got loads of composite to use here. Oh, I don't want to use that. And I'm like, yeah, but there's hundreds of pounds worth of stock here for you to use first before you have that. Yeah. And they're arguing, you know, yeah. that's a waste of money you know endophiles I see a lot of wasted money in that so actually you want to buy for what you need now you know and the smart practices are counting up you know how many treatments they've got for the month you know I've got nine or ten root canal therapies to do this month and you know they they always have three to five lots in the practice is like their contingency their benchmark and then you know they buy in the extras that they need for that particular month that is smart stock management yeah? yeah and you know you never on dragon's den i can see deborah meaden now as soon as you say how much stock have you got on a website a face just goes to thunder face doesn't it it's like you've got how much piled up in a warehouse yeah it's dead money it's not doing anything for you so don't do it having 70,000 70 boxes of gloves in a in a in a shed somewhere is dead money yeah it, you know the nhs have got to have gloves do you know what i mean it, it, you know if there's a gloves crisis then okay <laughs> about it. but i'm i don't think there will be one and i think they're panicking i really think they do and the yeah. rest that are around at the moment going you need to buy it before it goes up they're scaring you because i'm telling you what supermarkets do and this is my experience of working for sainsbury's I'm, I, I won't hopefully i won't get sued for this but when i worked for sainsbury's as a price controller um the prices used to go up months in advance for a special offer that's the way it used to go so people would put money on to take it off or to do a six for four or a three for two or buy one get one free yeah, it was never the price it was, you know, that they drilled it down to and then do the offer. That's not smart business. No. Do that. Yeah. We know that with them. Then to see to see that happen. So, you know, um, th th there might be a few deals to be had. But as my nanny used to say to me, if you don't need it, you don't need to buy it now. 
yeah just because it's on offer doesn't mean to say that you need it and it's a really good thing to do that is because you know there's a difference between i want something isn't there and i really need it absolutely so <clears throat> mike we will never go shopping together um, <laughs> I'll be going, but I do, I do, and you'll be going, no, no. no I'm not going to say that I haven't bought something on impulse because I definitely have. But no, no, just think of Black so, Friday. It's just like Black Friday, isn't it? I you never know? buy anything on Black Friday ever. Oh, no, why would you? Because no, no. prices have been made up anyway. Um, yes. You know, it's just a load of rubbish, isn't it? It really I, is. I, I so, totally agree. I yeah. totally agree. So, anyway, we have got to go. Yeah, don't get yourselves embroiled. Yeah, that's our main tip, really. Don't panic by, don't get stressed. You know, things will work out. You know, the people on the TV at the moment are stocking up, you know, 45 cans of spaghetti. I mean, honestly, what oh, are you doing? Isn't it? I mean, who wants to eat that anyway? Yeah, it's um, like walking dead. I mean, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the apocalypse is going to happen. It isn't. Right, we have got to end this month's podcast. Michael and I could go on forever, as you can probably tell. Now, it is March um, at the time of recording this. Uh, obviously, we do not know what is happening with Brexit. We'll be back in April to discuss um, what's happening, what our thoughts are. Uh, obviously, it'll all be um, stay calm. Don't panic. Keep that mind frame. Um, but do send your questions through. They're great questions that we're having. So thank you very much. And do have a wonderful March. Thank you, everybody. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe so you can be notified of our next episode.